You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlandale, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. Today, Lead Pastor Eugene Smith will continue with our series called I Quit. If the enemy of your soul can't get you trapped in sin, he'll try to paralyze you with fear. Fear isn't an absence of faith. Fear is a misplaced faith. A good reminder for us all, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Our scripture text comes from Isaiah chapter 41, starting in verse 10. Today's message is entitled, Living in Fear. Fear not. Let's, re- let's say it together. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous, victorious right hand. All right. Now go over to the New Testament, right before the end of the book. Paul's letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. And let's say this one together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's just say that one more time together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This morning, our pastoral prayer, we're going to pray for the Hope Church of Phoenix. We did this a few weeks ago, but they've actually launched their church, and they're getting kind of their preview service. They're in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a sister church to the city church. Pastor Mark and Cheryl Cargill have been friends with Laura and I for over 20 years And uh, they're part of our City Church Network. We are going to pray for them. Easter Sunday is their launch service. And God's favor has been with them. And we're just going to pray over them. We're going to pray over their family. We're going to pray that God would give them souls and salvations and the resources to do what he's called them to do in the Phoenix area. So we're going to pray for Mark and Cheryl Cargill. And then as a church, we're going to pray. We'll take just a moment. We're going to pray for our own church family. We're going to pray for these 77 young people that came forward on a Wednesday night during this series, I Fight. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will glue them, cement them into the body of Christ. Can we do that this morning? So we're going to make those two prayer focuses while we pray. Can we just, just pray? I need someone to pray with. I need, this is a group knows how to pray. Can we just pray together this morning as we pray for these two areas? Lord, I thank you this morning for the Hope Church of Phoenix. God, we just ask for your grace to be with Mark and Cheryl Cargill. We thank you that you have put it in their heart, Lord, to do your righteous cause, and that is to plant a church in the Gilbert area. God bless them today. Let the favor of the Lord rest upon them today. Lord, I pray that you'll give them salvations and souls and the resources they need to accomplish your purposes. We thank you, Lord, this Easter Sunday, they're going to launch. It's going to launch large. It's going to launch big. God, they're going to be effective in reaching that community for the kingdom of God. We bless them today. Now, I want us to pray right now for the young people that have come forward on a Wednesday night for the last three weeks. Let's pray for their glowing into the kingdom of God. Father, we pray right now. We thank you, first of all, for what you are doing in this city. We thank you for the young people, for the high school, for the middle school, for the, for the college campuses that are being touched. And we just want to give you all the glory. We thank you, Lord, today that your grace and anointing and presence and power, Lord, is here. You are drawing young people to yourself. There is a great revival in this city, and we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you for what you are doing. We don't take it for granted today. Now, God, we ask you to help us do our part and seeing them sealed and committed and growing in their faith and their walk with you. 
God, we pray that they will seal the deal, take the next step, water baptism, get connected to the body of Christ, get plugged into relationships. We pray for that glue in the youth ministry today. We ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful and your mighty name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, one more family thing. I almost forgot, but we can't, we can't forget this. This is so important. This is so, so important. <clears throat> the Bible says that we're to give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, this week, uh, Pastor Glenn and I, we spent, actually we spent, we left on a Monday. We spent Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in the Jacksonville community. And uh, we just hung out. We played a couple days of golf. We hung out with a bunch of pastors. We got to hear about the ministry of Convoy of Hope. Uh, we made a great big pledge for this church. We made the biggest pledge that we've ever made to give to another ministry this year. Last year, we gave about 17000 to Convoy of Hope. This year, we pledged, we made a faith promise that we're, as a church family, you, you, I helped you with your faith. I helped stretch your faith. We're, gonna, we're believing by God, by God's faith and God's help, we're going to give $25,000 to Convoy of Hope. Can you give God a great big hand? Come on. And... Uh, I've, I've never been in a room quite like what I felt on, it was Tuesday night, right? Tuesday night, they were, they were pastors sharing their testimonies of small churches of 100 people that gave $60,000 and just tell how God did it. And as they were sharing, there was a spirit of generosity that came into the room. They took pledges that night. And the pledges, now the money hasn't come in, but the pledges that night were seven, 78 people were $1.6 million. It's going to go to disaster relief. Convoy of Hope is a ministry, the mission of Convoy is to share the life-changing love of Jesus by meeting the practical needs of men and women and boys and girls. And so it was a great time. We had a great time together. But Pastor Glenn has just been a great servant in this house. He's got a great destiny. We know that. We believe that. The best is yet to come. And this week on the 26th, what's today? So yesterday, yesterday, he's been on staff at City Church, on paid staff for five years. So we've got a little plaque, and we've got a little uh, gift that we want to give him for his five years of service. Can we welcome Pastor Glenn Wolf to the stage? Come on up, Pastor Glenn. Let's give him a great big hand. Come on. You just needed to step over that, man. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a great honor, and I... Pastor Glenn and Natalie have been an answer to prayer to City Church, but also to us as a family. And the way you've loved my boys, served me, your great spirit, your great faith, you complete, you finished school, and uh, I'm just so proud of you. And I believe the best is yet to come. And I told him on the way back, I said, my goal in life is to one day be his associate. I'm working myself out of a job so that I can be his associate. And I believe that. I believe God's best is yet to come in Glenn and Natalie's life. And uh, so we have a little check that we want to give you for your five years of service. And the plaque says, presented to Glenn Wolf in grateful appreciation for your outstanding leadership and dedication to our city church family. Five years of service, 2006 to 2011. God bless you. I love you, man. Amen. Well, we got a lot of family stuff. It's all good. Say, everyone say, it's all good. He just needed to step over it. That's six foot four frame there. We all know what it is to be afraid, don't we? And we all have had fear. 
uh, when I was a little boy, when I was a boy, when I was a boy, I, I really was afraid of the dark. And I, I slept, as a little kid, I slept with a baseball bat and a hunting knife in my bed. I don't know who I thought was coming in, man, but I was ready. Baseball bat, I did, I can remember. I mean, I had a baseball bat and a hunting knife. I won the hunting knife throwing darts at a balloon at a carnival, and I kept that thing right by my bed. I was afraid of the dark. We all, we all have fears in our life, things that keep us kind of back, keep us from being able to go forward. Now, fear, fear, really, in the Bible, and in all throughout life, but fear th- shows itself in three ways. Fear, there's a good fear. Everyone say good fear. It, I call it a common sense fear. It's the kind of fear that you get as you get a little bit older and realize, I shouldn't drive 130 miles an hour down the street. <laughs> right? You know, it's the kind of fear, it, it's, it's called common sense. You realize that you shouldn't uh, grab a rattlesnake by the tail, right? Come on. Or grab a dog that's barking and yank on his tail. I mean, it's that kind of, it's common sense fear. True story. It's a true story. just happened a couple years ago. A mom, a single mom, living in a rough neighborhood, and she's afraid. She's really afraid, and so she decides to buy a gun. She's got two boys. She's got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and somehow the boys find the gun. And the little boys, eight and six years old, they have no fear. They find this gun, and the eight-year-old boy playing with this gun pulls the trigger and kills his six-year-old boy. Six-year-old six brother kills him. And, I mean, it's terrible. It's just one of the great traits you can't even imagine. It's your worst kind of fear as a parent. You can't even imagine something like that happening. You know, on, on the death certificate, it says cause of death. You know, the mortality was caused by a bullet wound. It was caused because he was shot. But, you know, the real cause of death of that child wasn't a bullet. The real cause of death was fear. The mom was afraid. Driven by fear, living by fear. Fear is a terrible thing. Fear paralyzes us. Satan's number one goal in your life is to make you miserable. And if Satan can't get you trapped in sin, he'll paralyze you with a fear. That's what my wife said. That was a great quote. That's quotable. I wrote that down. I wrote that one down. My wife walked in my office on Friday. She said, if Satan can't get you trapped in a sin, he'll try to paralyze your life with fear. Keep you from going forward. Keep you from moving forward. So there's good fear, and then there's bad fear. It's bad fear. The Bible actually calls it a spirit, a spirit of fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of what? Oh, come on, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then there's the fear of God. I mean, 168 times that phrase, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, or fear God, is mentioned in the Bible. Do you know why you willfully sin? You know what willful sin is? When you know something's wrong and you do it anyway. You know why you do that? You know why you do that? You don't do that because you have an addiction. You don't do that because you've got a problem of hang up. Oh yeah, those are all symptoms. But you know why you do that? You do it because you don't have any fear of God. The word fear in the Bible means to reverence, to give reverence to, to give awe to. And when you don't have reverence or fear or respect for something, you'll violate it. You'll violate it. It's just like the little child with the gun. The child has no fear of the gun because he doesn't understand the potential damage and harm. And because he doesn't understand, does something stupid with it. And that's what we do in our lives. We have no fear of God in the place. We have no fear of God. For that moment, in that moment, we're not thinking about the consequences. We're not thinking about what it does to God. We're not thinking about how it makes God feel and the potential damage 
and harm it can do in our life. This morning, our challenge is to quit living in fear. That's our challenge. As of today, I've lived 17,462 days. That's how old I am today. I'm 17,000. Don't you can get on your phone and find out how many days you've lived. You can wait till after the service, but I've lived 17,462 days. And I've learned something. I've learned that all of us have fears in our life. All of us. Every person here. God's been speaking to me all week about something in my life that he wants me to conquer. Something that's held me back. And the problem is that when something holds me back, the potential for it to harm and to hurt other people is great because I influence a lot of people. I influence a lot of people. And so if I don't conquer my fears, my fears can affect your life. It's a fact. The Bible teaches that. And so I'm working. I'm saying, God, I want to quit. I want to quit living in fear in my life. The point this morning, the point of my message, I want you to see this. I, I quit living in fear requires that we renew our minds with the hope that if Christ is with us, we have nothing to fear. It requires that we renew our minds with the hope that if Christ is with us, we have nothing to fear. Today, I choose to quit living in fear. Today, I choose to quit living in fear. Satan hates you. Satan's plan for your life is for you to be miserable. He wants you to be miserable. He wants your life to be frustrated. He wants your life to be full of pain. Sorrow, sadness, sickness, disease, addictions, brokenness. So many of these stem out of a fear, an improper fear. That's what we're going to focus today. We're going to focus on a bad fear, not a good fear, not the reverence of God, which, you know, it's important. It's very important. We're going to focus on a bad fear. Here's four common things that people fear. Four really, there's a whole list of them, but there's four common things. People fear loss. People fear loss. Losing something. If somebody's got money, stock market crashed in 2008. Some of you aren't old enough to remember. Some of you don't re- aren't involved in the market, so it didn't have any effect on you. But there was a whole lot of fear in America in 2008. I mean, the markets crashed. People that had a lot of wealth in just a couple of days, trillions, literally over a trillion, over a trillion, two trillion dollars of wealth disappeared from the American economy. How does it disappear? Well, it was all on paper, but the market crashes. People are they're selling off. Because our economies, the economies of the world, are driven by two things. Fear and greed. Fear and greed. That's what drives the markets. Japan has a, uh, an earthquake, have a great tsunami, we have a nuclear meltdown. Does that make anyone a little bit nervous, nuclear meltdowns? Come on, that, I mean, doesn't it make you nervous? You know the radiation in one of those reactors is 10 million times greater than what it's supposed to be? 10 million. 10 million. And, you know, they're finding radiation, and they're finding it. I read this week they found it in Nevada. I mean, radiation is spewing all over the world. That ain't a good thing, okay? That's not a good thing. Everyone says that's not a good thing. That's a problem. But we fear loss. We fear loss of life. We fear loss of a relationship. We fear loss of money. We fear loss. My wife and I are walking around Epcot. We are there a couple of weeks ago. We got yearly passes. We're walking around Epcot one night, and I hear this mom start to, I mean, frantically yell little Johnny's name, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. And then I hear her say these words, my worst fears have come upon me. She said those exact words. I thought about it. Okay. Little Johnny disappeared from Disney World. And I actually, I thought, 
I wonder how many kids actually have disappeared from Disney World. You know how many kids? Disney World was built in 1971. This is true. Disney World was built in 1971. There's an average of 47 million people a year go to a Disney World park. That's just here in Florida. That's not including Disneyland. Do you know since 1971, there has not been one child abducted from Disney World? Not one. How many is 47 billion times, 47 million times 40? Almost 2 billion. Almost 2 billion people have passed through the turnstiles of Disney World and not one child. All right, let's just say it's a million. A billion, I mean. Let's just say it's a billion. Not one child is it. But you know a parent's greatest fear? And so you go to Disney World and whole families, it'll be like a clan of 10 people. They're all wearing pink shirts with a family name plastered across the front. They got their little four-year-old on a leash. I've seen it. They got their little four-year-old on a leash because they don't want to lose it. <laughs> fear of loss. We do funny things. Our whole insurance industry in America is built on the fear of loss. That's what it's built on, fear of loss. Fear of failure. Everyone say failure. We, feel, we fear failure. People will not go to school because they're afraid that they're going to fail because they didn't do very well in high school. So, you know, I mean, there's just so many things people are afraid to try. People are afraid to try something that's beneficial because they failed before. People are in, people are afraid. Sometimes women are afraid to get involved in a relationship because they're, they've had bad experiences in the past and they don't want to get hurt again. So their hearts are closed to God bringing the man to their life that he wants to bring. So they end up living with people. So it happens. They, they're afraid of a relationship going south. So today, 50% of Americans, 50%, the reason that the marriage population is decreasing in America is because people are living together. Well, the Bible, it's, in God's eyes, it's the same thing. They just haven't done it the right way. They're afraid of commitment. They're afraid of, they have a fear of commitment. Fear of failure. Fear that a relationship's going to fall apart. Fear that they're not going to succeed. And so it keeps people from even trying. God's put something in your heart. God's put a ministry. God's put, you know, some, for you to do something. And you're afraid that you're not going to succeed because you're not as gifted as a Pastor Glenn or you're not as talented as somebody else. God's put it in your heart. You're afraid to do it. You're afraid of failure. The next very common one is fear of rejection. <laughs> I mean, don't kid yourself. We're all afraid. We, all, we dress a certain way because we don't want to be rejected. Now I'm going to pick on Eric this morning. I was watching Pastor Judah Smith preach yesterday. Keenan brought me, Pastor, uh, the, they're having a conference, a youth conference in Seattle at our, our mother church there. And, and Pastor Judah is a very famous pastor right now, very well known across America. And he's wearing a beanie just like Eric right there. And, there's, and I look around the audience, and there's all these people wearing beanies. And I'm thinking, that's kind, of, that's kind of humorous. I mean, I don't, you know. Why? They all, there's a group, you know. And so we dress a certain way because we don't want to be rejected, right? You know, in Sanford, there's a bunch of boys running around. They've got a great big belt buckle. They've got a raised-up pickup truck and a cowboy hat, and they go to NASCAR. Right? And they identify with a certain group of people because they don't want to be rejected. Then there's a whole other group of people. You know, they got the South Pole. They got the baggy pants. They got the crack disease. Right? They, got, they might not be using crack, but they are. They, they're showing too much crack. Come on. Right? They don't want to be rejected. 
And so we grow up out of that stage, but then we get into the work world. We want to conform. We don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. That's why people don't share their faith, because they don't want to be rejected. They're afraid of what someone thinks about them, and so they don't want to be rejected. And a fear of rejection causes people to be cowards, causes them to not speak up when things are wrong. True. This is a true story. One of the reactors, I just read this in the newspaper last week, one of the reactors, actually when it was installed 30-some years ago, this is one of the reactors in Japan, it actually bent while they were installing it. And there was a guy, a a government official for Japan, that was paid to kind of try to straighten it up. And they did it secretly without telling anybody. And one of the reasons that that one reactor really melted down is because there was one man, he was afraid of being rejected. He was afraid of what people would, afraid of what people around him, his superiors would say if he told the truth. And they had an inferior nuclear reactor. And so when the worst happened, because the worst can happen, it doesn't always happen, doesn't generally happen. But you know, there are worst case scenarios. And worst case scenario happened. And now we have nuclear radiation spewing all over the world. Fear of rejection. It's fear of being rejected. And then there's the fear of the unknown. Not sure what it looks like. We're not sure about it. So many people are afraid because they don't think they have enough knowledge about something. Not enough knowledge keeps lots of people from moving forward. Fear of not knowing. You know, it's how you can demonize a people group. It's how people become racist. It's how people become bigots because they don't know someone else. They don't know them. And because they don't know them, they lack knowledge, they demonize them. It's exactly what happens. They demonize whole people groups. So you got people groups against each other because fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. What would happen? And then I, I, last one, can I threw this one here. Fear of the shoe drop. You know what the fear of the shoe drop is? Everything's going pretty good in your life, but you're afraid that the shoe is going to drop at any moment and something bad is going to happen. And a lot of times we live like that. We're afraid. And things are going just too good right now. Can't keep going like this. Bam, the shoe's going to drop. Well, I want you to know today, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God's not given you a spirit of fear. God's not given you a spirit of fear. You see, what fear is, fear is misplaced faith. Fear isn't a lack of, fear is not even a lack of faith. Fear is misplaced faith. Because when you operate in fear, when you live in fear, when your life, when your decisions, and not all your decisions, but you have things in your life that are being governed by fear, and when you operate like that, you have faith. You just have faith in the wrong things. You have faith in the wrong things. You're not putting your faith in God. Jesus said, put your faith in God. Have faith in God, and you will say to this mountain, be thou removed cast into the sea, not doubt in your heart, but believe those things that you say, and they'll come to pass. See, Satan's goal for you is to have a miserable life. That's his plan. That's his purpose. But God's plan for you is good. In the Bible, God had, God had a man, one man who was willing to obey. His name was Abraham. He was a great man, and in that, he lived a bunch of bunch of he lived among a bunch of people who were idol worshippers. His father was an idol maker. They didn't worship the one true God. They worshipped many gods. They were polytheists. And Abraham, Abraham believed when God came to him and said, "Abraham, I am." 
Abraham believed that he was God. Abraham believed that. And Abraham left his father's home and he began to seek a place that God had for him and for his seed. One time God comes to Abraham. He said, Abraham, because you believe in me, I want you to look up into the sky. And when Abraham looks up into the sky, he says, I want you to count the stars. And when Abraham counts the stars, God said, that's how many children you're going to have. That's your inheritance. And then he shows them a land. And it's an expansive land. And this is going to be their land. This is going to be their territory. So God said to you, God called you by name. You believed. God said, I want to show you, I want to show you the good that I have in store for you. But they, Abraham believed, but his descendants didn't believe. And so for 400 years, they're stuck in slavery. I can't think of a worse institution. One man capturing another man and holding him in captivity. The symbolism, the spiritual symbolism is so great. Because that's exactly what Satan does to mankind. Satan captures your heart. Satan captures your mind. Satan captures your spirit. When he does that, fills your heart full of unbelief. And you're held captive and you can't move forward. And you're stuck in bondage. We look across our world, so many people stuck. They're held captive. God raises a man by the name of Moses. Moses, incredible leader, leads him out of Egypt, leads him out of captivity. He's actually called a deliverer. He's the greatest leader, spiritual leader. He encounters God. God speaks to him, gives him revelation. And he raises up a young man to come alongside by the name of Joshua. And Moses calls, tells Joshua, God wants us to go fight this battle. So Moses goes up on the mountain. They're down in the valley. They're getting ready to take the, they have, they have the opportunity to take this land. And Moses is up there, and he's praying, and he's worshiping God. He's got his hands looking towards the sky. There's Joshua down in the field battling against the Amalekites. And as long as Moses kept his hands up, they were winning the battle. But he started to get tired. He started to get tired. And when he put his hands down, guess what? When he did that, the enemy started to win. Moses, Moses tells 12 guys, he says, guys, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to check out this land. So these 12 guys, they fight this battle, gives them some freedom. They win because Moses keeps his hands up. They go in and they check out promised land. They check out what is called the land of Canaan. They check it out, and you know what they find? It is everything that God said. The life that God called you to is everything that he says. It's a good life. It's a blessed life. It's a favorite life. It's not an easy life. You're full of adversity and challenges and trials. But I tell you what, the, the best day with the devil is nothing compared to the worst day with God. David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the God than sit in the courts of the wicked. Any day of the week. Any day of the week. Look what happens here. Twelve spies, they go in, they check out the land. I want you to see this verse. Look what happens here. Numbers chapter 13, the Bible says, The land we explored, they're devouring the people that are living it. All the people we saw, they are great of size. We saw the Nephilim there. They were the descendants of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We seemed like grasshoppers. See, how did they see themselves? They did not see themselves as conquerors. They did not see themselves as overcomers. They did not see themselves as victorious and winners. They didn't see themselves that, that way. See, their thought process about who they were, 
Their thought, their thinking about who they were was all wrong. So they thought it, then they spoke it, and they said, we are like grasshoppers. You know what grasshoppers are? They're small. They're little creatures. They get eaten by other creatures. They bounce around, hop around. We're little grasshoppers. We're insignificant. We're small. We're not only small in our sight, we're small in the sight of the enemy. And when we give in to a spirit of fear, that's how the enemy sees us. We're small in his sight. He sees an opportunity to run right over us, take advantage of us, strip us of the power that God has created for, created us for. I want you to hear the promise. Listen to this promise right here. Listen to this promise. Can you put it up 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3? This is God's promise. I want you just to read this. I want you to read this. I'm going to read this out loud, but I want you to read this. 2 Peter 1, 3. For as you know him better, he will give you through his great power. He will give you through his great power. Everything. Someone say everything. Come on, say Everything. He will give you everything you need for living a truly good life. He even shares his own glory and his own goodness with us. He even shares it. He shares his own goodness. He shares his glory. You know what his glory is? His presence. You know when you got his glory? You know when you got his glory? The moment you said yes to Jesus. When you said yes to Jesus, you got his glory. At that very moment, Christ the Christos, the anointed one, the Holy Spirit of God, the moment you said yes to Jesus, oh, you got his glory. He's no longer the God who is just with you. Yes, he's with you, but now he's the God who is in you. Everything you need for living a truly great life. His divine power. His nature. It's God in you. God in you. I want to give you five pillars. Five pillars of hope. We're going to finish with this this morning. I want to give you five pillars of hope. It's found in Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 10. It's the very first verse that you read. And I want you to read this. I want you to listen as we read this verse together again. God. I want to give you a pillars. I want to give you five pillars of hope. Because he's the God of hope today. I want to build your faith today. I want you to believe me today that you can quit living in fear. That you can be, you can do, and you can go any place that God wants you to be, do, and go. You can do it today. God's with you. You can overcome any problem, any addiction, anything that's creating you, making you want to feel small about yourself, any insecurity, any fear. You can overcome today. You can be all that God's called you to be. And I want to give you five pillars of hope. Let's read this together. Fear not. Everyone say, fear not. Fear not. <laughs> fear not for I am with you. I am. He's the I am. He is the I am. And he's with you today. I am with you. I don't care where you're at right now. I don't care where you're at. I don't care where you're at in your life, your situations, your circumstances. He is with you. I am with you. Be not dismayed. You know what that means? Be not discouraged. Say it with me. Be not discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. He's a personal God. Come on, guys. Pay attention. He's a personal God. 
He's a living God. He's living. I am your God. He's your God. He is your God. Oh, I'm your God. I'm with you. I'm your God. I'll answer that for you. We'll just wait. That's all right. I will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I will strengthen you. You know what? You can't do any of this. You can't quit making excuses. You can't. You can't do it. You can't quit complaining, and you can't live a life that's fearless without God. God has strengthened you. He is the glory and the lifter of your head. He's the God who strengthens you in your time of need. The Bible says that David, when David had gone into battle and come around the backside, the enemy destroyed his family and the families of the friends of David. The Bible says that his friends turned on him and they wanted to kill him. And the Bible says that David, he was afraid, he was dismayed, he was discouraged, but he strengthened himself in his God. You know what you do when you gather together on a Sunday morning and we have a gathering? Sunday mornings are about gathering and worshiping our King. The worship is not just kind of a warm-up. The worship is a time for you to encounter God and to be strengthened in your faith. I love to walk in here this morning and to see the young people up here in the front worshiping God. Because it's in your worship, it's in your praise that God inhabits, makes himself real, speaks to you. Someone came up to me after the first service and said, I feel like I'm supposed to lay hands on somebody and pray for them because they can't see. I said, go for it. The Holy Spirit speaks to you in this atmosphere of worship, in this atmosphere of praise. God speaks to you. Expect God. Don't just expect to have another worship service. Expect that when you begin to worship, there's a real God who hears your worship and he prays and prays and he lives in you, he dwells in you, and he will speak to you and he will strengthen you in your time of need. And I will help you. You've got to hear this. Oh, oof. I will help you. Some, t- some people today, they're afraid. They're afraid because they don't have enough money. They're afraid. They haven't had a revelation. They haven't had the revelation yet of who God is in their life. They haven't had a revelation. See, a long time ago, there was a man by the name of Abraham. God came to him. He said, Abraham, I want you to give your firstborn, that son of promise, the, the son that I told you that you would have, and you had to wait for 25 years. I want you to offer that back to me. I want you to give that to me. The Bible says that Abraham took that boy. His name was Isaac, and he went up to a mountain. And there on the mountain, he built a sacrifice. And he was going to offer that child. And there as that child lay on the altar, the boy says to his dad, he says, Daddy, where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, I am Jehovah Jireh will supply. I am the God who will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Let me tell you, if you're here today and finances are a problem in your life, you need to get a revelation on who God is. You might not know it yet, but there's going to come a place and a time in every person's life where you're going to need Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides and meets every need according to his riches and his glory at work in your life. Someone said amen this morning. You might have a physical need in your body. You're sick. You're sick in your body. The children of Israel, the Bible says they were in the wilderness. And 
snakes came and they bit them and they got really sick. God told Moses, I want you to put a stake up. I want you to put a pole up. And every person who looks to that stake, every person that looks to the cross, every person that looks upon that cross, I will be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals them of all of their diseases. I want you to know today, God wants you to get a revelation. He is the God who is your healer. He is the God who changes not. He is the God, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Moses fighting in the battle. Arms are tired and weary and weak. Can't keep fighting. Two guys come alongside Aaron and Hur, and they lift his hands up towards heaven. As they're lifting his hands up towards heaven, Moses gets this revelation. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is the God who is my banner, my victor's banner. He is the God who gives me success. He's the God who delights in the prosperity of his servants. Moses gets that revelation. And as you lift up your hands in this place, you're going to get a revelation. He is Jehovah Nisi, the God, the God who fights your battles today. Get that revelation today. Get it in God. Don't leave this place. Don't leave here today. This is your moment. This is your hour. This is not just another service. The Holy Spirit is here right now. God's here right now. Revelation, he was Jehovah Nisi, the victor's banner. Oh God, disciples are on a boat. The boat is, the boat is going all over the place. They think they're going to sink. They think they're going to drown. Jesus is on the boat, laying on a pillow fast asleep. They're afraid. Their lives are going down. It's not going to work. Marriage has got fallen apart. I don't care. Whatever the problems, fear comes into our heart. We're imagining the worst. Children aren't going to make it. Something bad's going to happen to me. Going to fail. I don't know how it's. I don't know. God, where are you at, Jesus? He seems to be asleep in your life. And so they go and wake him up. Jesus, wake up, wake up, wake up. And Jesus wakes up. And you know what the Bible says? Jesus speaks peace. Be still. See, he's Jehovah Shammah, the God of peace. I'm the God who brings peace. Paul the Apostle had this revelation. He said, whenever you got a problem, whenever you got a circumstance you can't figure out, whenever you got something in your life that's causing you to shake and quake, whenever things aren't working, anxiety starts to build up, got to take some toms, you want to go for a drink, I mean, whatever you tend to do to self-medicate, once you begin to pray, prayer, supplication, request known to God, and the Shema, the peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. He's the God of peace. But in order for that to happen in your life, you got to do something. you got to believe. And faith always acts. Faith always acts. I'm going to close with the story. True story. 1519, a guy by the name of Hermon Cortez. Hermon Cortez was sent from Spain. He was a conqueror. Not very politically correct today, but that was, what he, that was his job description. That's what he got paid the big bucks to do. He, he worked for the king of Spain, and in 1519, he came to the Americas. He came to Americas to conquer land, to take territory. And he landed in Cuba. And when he was in Cuba... He started hearing reports, true story. He started hearing reports about this Aztecian Indian, this native Indian in Mexico. 
His name was Montezuma, King Montezuma. Montezuma was one of the wealthiest men, literally the wealthiest men in the whole southern hemisphere. Whole, this part of the southern hemisphere, North and South America, this man was one of the wealthiest men. He had gold beyond belief, mighty armies. He was the king, this whole giant, vast region. Cortez showed up. And he landed on the beaches of Baja, Mexico. And there in Mexico, he began to cast the vision. You know, his men, they traveled over, over a long ways. They'd gone from Spain to Cuba. Now they're here on the coastline of, of, of the Mexico, uh, Baja, Mexico. And man, they're like, this ain't going to work. This is too hard. It's too difficult. Someone wanted to quit. So he lined them all up on the beach. This is a true story. He, this is a true story. He lines them all up on the beach, and he starts telling them what their future looks like. He starts telling them about the gold that they're going to get. He starts telling them about, hey, these, these sandy seashores, they're going to be our sandy seashores. He starts telling them about, this is what's going to, this is what's going to happen when we conquer this king and take his stuff. This is what's going to happen. I want you to know this morning. I want you to know this morning. This is what's going to happen when you conquer the king of fear, Satan. When you win. When you're victorious. This is what's going to happen. God's going to give you a good life. It won't be easy. It'll be full of adversity and trials and difficulties. But you will overcome. He will be the God who is with you when you walk through the flames and the fires and the waters of life. He will be with you. He will be in you. And He will be the God who gives you victory. After 21 days of casting this vision, Cortez tells his captain, he says, I want you to burn the boats, baby. Burn the boats. Burn the boats. There was no going back. They weren't going back to Spain. They weren't going back to Cuba. They had no way out. They had only one way to go, and that was to go forward. That was to get the possession. That was to get the prize. That was to fight their enemy. And if you're going to win today, you got to burn the boats, baby. He burned every boat. They had no way off. They had no place to go. They had to go forward. They had to. And that's what God's saying to you today. you got to burn the boat. you got to burn the boat of unbelief. you got to burn the boat of fear. you got to burn the boat of safety, security. The thing that's kept you trapped. Today is your day. you got to quit living in fear. But you're not helpless and you're not powerless. Because Christ is in you right now at this moment. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to close in worship in just a moment. We're going to sing this song that we sang just a few moments ago. But the Holy Spirit right now, the Holy Spirit wants you to hear this word. The Holy Spirit wants you to know today that you are not a coward, but you were called to be a conqueror. That today you were not powerless, but you are powerful through Christ. You're not a victim of life's circumstances. You are called to be a victor through God's right hand. You're not a whiner today through the trials of life. You've been destined to be a winner. My prayer for you right now in this room is may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with the hope of His power by the Holy Spirit. He's the God of hope. You're in this room right now. What fears have you lived with? Are you ready to burn your boat today? Are you ready to burn the boat? Are you ready to believe? Are you ready to trust? What constant enemy Satan fired against you? What fiery dart? What spirit has constantly come against you and has kept you from going forward in God? I want you to know today, today, by faith, you can burn that boat. Thanks for listening to this message, Living in Fear with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. 
for service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please log on to our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.